All right. Welcome to the Hacksaw Podcast. I am Everett. And I'm Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. And uh, we're on to episode six. We're talking about... This is probably going to be our... You would say our most divisive episode so far. I was thinking the same thing. I... Well, we should get our disclaimers out of the way, too, because we're talking about the the beloved director, Guillermo del Toro. I have several, if not most of my friends who are fairly big fans of his. And to be fair, I, I am, too. This is going to be a uh, this is going to be a hard pill to swallow episode. What we're going to be talking about is, well, we're not going to be doing it exactly like our other episodes where we've been talking about filmmakers, like we did with uh, Christopher Nolan or with Sam Mendes, because with with those guys, we had no problem just roasting them the yeah, entire that's, time. Yeah, that was easy. It's like, like, we all know that Christopher Nolan is a complete you know, utter hack and in, in every way, shape and form. It's, 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 there's no like argument for or against it. It's just sheer facts. Guillermo del Toro just, just straight up started off making just gold, just started off out the gate with some great stuff. And then the last, I would say almost two decades have just been a linear pipeline of liquid shit. Yeah, I'd say that's that's pretty accurate for the most part. The thing about Guillermo del Toro is, like I said from the get-go, I am a fan of him in general. I just think that there's a lot of things about his work that's really bad or problematic that a lot of his fans seem to ignore or just give a pass just because... Well, it's Guillermo del Toro. It's like, how long you gotta can you, love it. How long can you ride on the whole Pan's Labyrinth train before it runs out of gas? You know, it's like how how long can you just milk that out? I mean, there's plenty of like bands in 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 the world that have you know got their one hit wonders and they're still riding on it. Even bands like that have songs from like the '70s are still riding on those songs and making money off of them and stuff. And Guillermo del Toro is just one of those things where he's so frustrating to me. Because the quality of work that, that he put out in the beginning just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me why he would just go so off the deep end. Yeah, to clear the air here and to keep the, to keep the geeks from, from finding from, out where I live and torching just, my place. Just, yeah, like just, just burning, burning us out of house and home. Yeah, I want to get the positive stuff out of the way first before we good idea get into the other shit. A little, a little sugar to to help the medicine go down. Exactly. And here's the thing, I really like Guillermo del Toro's Spanish language films. He's only made a few of them, or at least a few major ones, to my knowledge. I've seen all of them, and they're all really, they're really all good. stellar. Yeah. His first major film, Chronos. I thought was a really well done, pretty low budget, but they do 
they do a lot with it, and it was just a really interesting take on the on the vampire genre. This was also like right when he was coming out of film school, right? This was, this like, was in the early nineties. Like one of the first things he did. I think he was in his late twenties. Yeah, when so he directed that's, it. That's just what a lot of film students do when they first come out. I mean, because that's what they wanted. They want to do their weird. They want to try and get some attention and get some notoriety by doing something weird. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair because I I, I used to take film classes and I thought, Ooh, it'd be really cool to be a director. And I had all these ideas and they were all things that were pretty out there. But if you actually got a chance to actually do one of those ideas, you would absolutely go for it. But the thing is, is that uh, at that early of an age, you don't really have the maturity or you haven't really honed your craft enough yet to you make don't have the restraint to know or restraint yeah. to know like how far to take something. You know, you just kind of want to just jizz all over the canvas and just, just fucking smear all over the place and be like, yeah. And Guillermo del Toro kind of did the opposite of that with Kronos. Mm-hmm. He took, he came out the gate with like a pretty tasteful, interesting take on the whole vampire genre. And, and executed it pretty well for his level of experience at that point. Yeah, I think that the film... And that that in had, itself, his own talent in itself, got him his notoriety. Yeah, for sure. This was also the film that started his long-standing collaboration with uh, Ron Perlman. Right, 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 right. Who appears in, like, every other movie. I mean, his. he's a good guy to have on hand. I mean, hey, it works, you know? And... Um, so yeah, he made Kronos. I, I like that movie quite a bit. And then his other two Spanish language films, I think are a little bit more well known. There's the The Devil's Backbone, which is one of my favorite films just altogether. I really recommend this one, actually, if you if you have get a chance to go check out Devil's Backbone. I mean, it's it's an awesome little ghost story. And uh if you're into that kind of stuff, like it's it's really good it's really good it's 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 brutal it's got great characters i think the whole mood and setting of the whole thing is just really excellent excellent really well executed i love the color palette and, and the lighting in the whole film like there's there's a lot of attention to detail with that with shadows and stuff and like i i don't know i i, I enjoy directors that use atmosphere and they use the actual lighting of the film to make it scary rather than just be like, Oh, here's a spooky looking hallway and there's monsters in it. It's like, no, it's like there's other ways to build tension and build atmosphere that can actually add to the suspense. Yeah. And I also appreciated that it wasn't strictly a horror movie, right? It was more of a drama. It was more of a period piece. It was more of a, well, it was tackling other themes other than just horror. It was tackling war as well. Like there's, you know, I don't give mm-hmm. away too much about the movie, but yeah, I mean, I just say go watch Devil's Backbone. It's great. And then most of us have all seen Pan's Labyrinth. That was the his his last Spanish language film, I believe. And, and that's probably like one of his real real breakout. Films, yeah, you know, I mean, it's still one of those things where it's like, and Pan's Labyrinth still holds up to this day. Mm-hmm. It's still a great film. Um, this is when like, but I believe that Pan's Labyrinth is when. Guillermo del Toro gets cemented into a certain style. He became more mainstream after Pan's Labyrinth. But I just feel like the like the people he worked with on the creatures and stuff like are the people that he would continue to work with from that point on. And 
therefore, every movie after Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro just kind of had the same look and feel to that His movie. His style became coded after, <clears throat> coded after Pan's Labyrinth, which yeah, is that... Del Toro formula. Del Toro does gritty fantasy realism. I would say that, like, mo- most likely after Pan's Labyrinth, it just became a money thing. It stopped, I believe, after Pan's Labyrinth, it stopped being about art and, and which, what was, which is what made Guillermo del Toro make great movies. And it started being more about money. And, you know, I don't know. I don't blame him. Not 100%. really. I don't, I don't know if it was really... I don't know how much money really played into it, but I, it's just kind of a shame that everything up until Pan's Labyrinth, at least his Spanish language stuff, was his best work. And then everything after that, it's sort of like, oh, it's the new film from Guillermo del Toro. No, he, did, he, did, he did a Shrek movie. Remember, You're telling me it's not about money? And every time he gets brought up, it's always, well, remember Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah. Remember that? Remember that? Ugh. And it's like, yes, I do remember that. That was 14, almost 15 years ago. Move the fuck on. When's he going to do something good again? Even if he came out, even if like he came out with uh, just like one other good film, I think just mm-hmm. one other good one, I think that would have been enough. You know, I think to be like, all right, yeah, this guy, he's 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 awesome. Like he's, you know, we can expect some some good stuff from him, you know, every once in a while. But it's just been one of these things where, you know, looking at his uh, sort of involvement in all these different films. A lot of them are like, I feel, are collaborations. And a lot of them are more of like a step back role. Like, like he's not directing each one of these films that we're going to talk about. He's more writing and producing them. But he, when you are producing, you are right. You do have a hand in like the creative process of the film. And it's hard for me to like really understand like why he would want to put his name on some of these, <laughs> some of these projects. Like, like for example, like, like, fucking puss in boots like like why like just because it's antonio banderas that's it just because this is another guy another spanish guy that's probably it that's, that's probably that's, at least that's, that's enough that's got to be one thing that's uh, enough that's all i'm saying it's more about money after at this point because he wants to he wants to fill his his weird vincent price home up with more like busts of frankenstein and and he wants to have like a bone room I think part of it too is that he has to settle for these projects because I've looked up some stuff about the projects that he's been wanting to make for the past 20 years and none of them really are able to get that much off the ground. They're just kind of stuck in this sort of limbo or production hell stuff that he wants to do, which are for instance, adaptations of certain stories by HP Lovecraft, like at the mountains of madness or a call of Cthulhu and which i think that would be really cool that's pretty much up his alley like that would be cool and that would be a departure from what he usually does and maybe that he could do something cool with that but i mean how many like how many puss in boots and kung fu panda sequels do you have to do before that comes out right and i just get this feeling that these movies or tv shows or whatever they are I feel like at this point they're just never going to come out. So and you know I'm fine with it. Whatever. So like, yeah, <laughs> but but what I'm sure. Like, but it's what just I, like fuck him. I don't I don't care. <laughs> what I'm saying though is that 
there's all these things he really wanted to do. He doesn't really get the chance to do. So he ends up working on these other things, which he's able to do. And this is kind of how I want to lead into where the majority of the problems we have with his work are, which is that when he started getting more into making Hollywood films, I feel like that's when the level of quality really started declining for him. I mean, this happens not just to Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. This has happened to other directors, too. Uh, just look at John Woo. John Woo is a... <laughs> A really good example, yeah. <laughs> Just look at what that look what Hollywood did to that poor boy. To look, look at what <laughs> look at what they did to our boy. So it's a common thing that happens with foreign directors who get an opportunity to start making films in Hollywood is they have to well they have to adjust to the structure of the Hollywood studio system, and they they aren't really. Able to sometimes it's nepotism too. It's like there's no place for you because my son is making movies and then his son's gonna be there and it's like who are you? Sure, yeah. It's just that they aren't really able to really fully flesh out the ideas they have. There's well, this happened to Guillermo del Toro when he made his first Hollywood film, Mimic of from what I read about it, not a good film by the way. But what, from what I read about it, there was a lot of studio interference. Um, this was a Weinstein joint. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so Harvey Weinstein, I think, was, you know, going in and just doing, saying stuff to Del Toro. Just hanging out by the craft services. And... You pig. No, uh, Nancy, that is not Harvey Weinstein. I'm so sorry, Jeff. I, my sister's from out of town. Oh. So I, I'm just, I'm really sorry. Oh, my God. Don't oh, worry. I'm the host of the party. Oh, my God. I'm yes. so sorry. Yes, I'm not Harvey Weinstein. I'm sorry. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. Okay. He looks like Harvey Weinstein. I was just thinking. What the hell? Okay. So that happened, and then, yeah, he didn't really make another movie for a little while in Hollywood after that because Mimic was a was a total flop. Don't think many people even remember that movie at all. Then then he got into off the success of the Blade movie. He, yeah, he did Blade 2. Yeah, he did Blade 2. He was getting like tossed these like he gets tossed a lot of sequel work. He got into like that's when he started getting into comic book films before comic book before Hollywood comic book movies were really established yet this was in that early 2000s era where it was people were going all right we got x-men that was a hit we got spider-man that was a huge hit all right we what else can we do they here? were starting to figure out like you know oh shit these fucking comic book movies they make millions and millions of dollars because i think they tried they tried hollywood has always tried to make comic book movies Mm-hmm. From the very beginning. I mean, how many fucking Superman movies are there from the 80s and 90s? You oh, know? yeah. Like, like I mean, it's like there's so many. I mean, and then they tried it with... The problem was is that, like, they made movies like, uh, you know, like those old Batman movies with, like, George Clooney and shit? It's yeah. like, the problem was is that those movies were always, like, made so freaking campy and so goofy and so so just, like, irreverent that... They were never taken seriously as films. They were just kind of like something that you're, something that like you know you got you got your son for the weekend, and uh, you don't really see him that often, and so you just gotta you gotta take him to blockbuster and like you run him Batman and Robin and you get him 
you get a Papa Murphy's pizza, and then you just kind of park him in front of the TV, and you just like, oh, all right, all right, whatever. This sounds strangely familiar. <laughs> it actually doesn't sound too bad. It's not too. It wasn't too bad. <laughs> got a pizza. I got, got a pizza. I got a Batman got, movie. Yeah, it's gonna be a nice evening. Yeah, weekend dad. Yeah, weekend dad rents rents. Uh, you know. Tim Burton's Batman movies for his kid, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, yeah. But the problem is, is that those movies like were just they were never taken that seriously, and they never really had they never really made that much money. To be honest, like like yeah, there was like a niche audience of them, but like nobody really ever gave a shit. Unless I only ever gave a shit about them if like you know, because Danny DeVito was the Penguin and he was like the best Penguin ever. I don't give a shit. <laughs> All right. Well, it's kind of funny because they're like, no, Danny, you don't. It, the Penguin is not actually a penguin <laughs> right it's like <laughs> well that was the only direction that tim burton gave danny devito i think because tim burton was known for not reading any batman comics up till it's like oh yeah, the penguin all right well here i'll get him a little tuxedo and so the character's called the penguin all right so he's literally a penguin got right. it <laughs> got it all right go go danny go run with it so you're gonna be I'm like what you're you're a penguin danny all right and then what you're going to do is you're going to act like a penguin. So that means you're going to be eating fish out of the yeah, water. Yeah, here. I got I got I got to here eat this, Danny. Eat, eat, go ahead. We're just going to eat. I want you I want you to eat this fucking can of sardines while we're doing the table read. Oh, hey, my name is not Oswald. It's penguin. I am not a human being. I am an animal. Cold-blooded. Crank the AC. Yeah, I think with Blade 2, to bring it back to Del Toro here, that movie can't, I think that movie was fairly successful at the time, and I think part of the reason was because vampire stuff was sort of in. Oh, it was super hot. You had Underworld, you had... It was a certain type of vampire stuff. You had Queen stuff. of the Damned, you it was, had... It was, it was, it was bad at, it was like, it was like martial arts vampire it stuff. Was, yeah, it, it was, yeah, like it was like, cool, it was vampire stuff, but also Matrix. Cool vampires who wore trench coats and went yeah. to raves and listened to Rob Zombie. The Matrix kind of ruined, the Matrix kind of ruined everything. It kind of did. For, for, <laughs> for in the early 2000s, like, it was like the Matrix... And I love the original Matrix is a great movie. It, it's still like you go back; it doesn't really hold up, but it is a good film. Like it has its it has good moments, and it it's still worth a watch. The sequels are are awful, but they should have just never made. They, they should have never gone further than the first one. It was it, it fell into this the whole thing with Hollywood, where like oh shit, it made money, we got to make more of them. Yeah, like <laughs> I thought the Animatrix was cool. That doesn't count. That was different. That that was yeah. Because all they did with that was, hey, we'll license the Matrix property to all these really good anime creators, and we'll just let them do what they want and give them whatever now, budget they want. It was want. more of like, here's an animation reel, and the the prompt is Matrix themed. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the the Matrix just sort of like because that movie was such a smash hit. Absolute uh, box office uh, smash mega movie number one box office smash mega movie. And because of that, it, it's just like influenced everything else. And so, yeah, of course, Guillermo del Toro is going to get stuck making a fucking. Like, what if it was The Matrix, but also Vampires movie? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm saying is that, like, for I don't know what he did. Maybe Guillermo del Toro pissed somebody off. You know, maybe he stopped, like, maybe he, like, you know, walked in on Harvey Weinstein. When he was uh, committing one of his many crimes, and never, and never, and never since then, 
uh, he was kind of throwing all these like shitty fucking movie roles. It's like, you're never going to work in this town again, Garbo. Just walking in and out of his office or wherever, like Grandpa Simpson in the... Oh, just puts the hat back on and walks yeah, out. Just puts it on, puts, <laughs> puts it off, puts it back, back on. Yeah. 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 Oh, Pacific Rim, right? What a waste of Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. Like, what an absolute waste of. What a waste of Charlie Day. What a waste of Ron Perlman, too. Right. I mean. What a waste of money. <laughs> what a Overall. Overall. That movie was so expensive. That movie, that movie cost a shit ton. Holy fuck. <laughs> You know how many vamp fucking statues of Dracula Guillermo del Toro could have bought to put in his fucking hallway? The Idris Elba thing bothers me quite a bit because he's he's usually quite selective about his roles. At least from what I've seen. Everything that he's in, it's like it's usually really good. Because he's he's a great actor. He's one of my favorite actors. Uh he's definitely one of Jordan's mom's favorite actors. <laughs> Holy shit. There's a poster of him in her room. Oh, <laughs> yeah, my mom said that uh, after uh, Denzel started to get a bit older, she moved on. She moved on. She's like, yeah. oh, here's a guy who's 15 years younger than Denzel. Ooh, yeah, steamy. Just just, just the, the fog, he, fogging out the windows there. He's also British. Uh, yeah, that's another one. He looks very dapper in a suit. Yeah, he's muscular. He's tall. You know, he's just the whole. He's the, the whole, whole package. He's the whole thing. I mean, he he looks like he could pick your mom up and just carry her away. <laughs> Imagine that, Idris Elba, dad. I'd be cool with that. You dad. Well, I don't know. I like my dad a lot. I don't know if I. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have two dads? No, no, because then you could you could get to experience weekend dad. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like I got I got weekend dad when I was a kid, and that's when like you'll go to your dad's house and he'll get you a. Uh, uh, Papa Murphy's Pizza and rent you Batman and Robin, and <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> just like uh, you again, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, like he doesn't. All of a sudden, he just doesn't know how to deal with his thirty-four-year-old son. <laughs> Dad, can we stop <laughs> watching Batman and Robin? <laughs> can we watch Spider-Man like Into the Spider-Verse or something instead? But yeah, Pacific Rim. Yeah, waste of an entire cast. Waste of uh, Rinko uh, Kikuchi as well. Who? The the Japanese actress. Uh, she was the, oh, the yeah, high school from, girl from she, Babel. Oh, yeah. Wasn't she in uh, uh, Cloud Atlas? Actually, no. Oh, okay. So I'm just being racist then. Not really. <laughs> I thought that was her too. Because they had a very similar look. It's like, I don't Not know. Not that just they were it's Asian. Like sh- they had short-haired, yeah. like Korean kind of go-go chick that kind of kicks ass a little bit. Yeah, I thought it you was know? her, too. Then I, then I looked it up, and it's like, oh, wait, it's... it's no, two, it's, it's not two her. Different, two different ladies. Okay. Well, they're both great. Um, <laughs> I like them both. Cloud Atlas sucks ass. That, that movie's garbage. But she was good. Um, Pacific Rim, look... I, I found myself like comparing this movie to another movie that recently came out, and that was the Godzilla, recent Godzilla movie, The King of the Monsters. Oh, okay. And we've talked on this show a couple of times about directors wanting to do one of two things. They either want to make a film that's competent and is a good film and 
it it stands the test of time. They want it to be a movie that can you can come back to and watch it, or at any point in your life uh, you can you can watch this movie and it it still holds up. They either want to do that, or they want to make an amusement park ride, where it's entirely designed for the theater experience. It's entirely designed to be enjoyed by Chinese people in a theater, and and that's it. And the thing is, like, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I love roller coasters. I love going to theme parks. I think it's super fun. But there's something inherently icky about, and I'm going to use the word icky, about this entire formula, you know? It, it, it just seems to be, like, somewhat of a subversion of, of, the, of the craft. It's like a subversion of, of, of film as an art form, you know? It's like kind of the mountain doing of of movies i'm really conflicted with because it's not you know because you, you agree with me right it's like it's not inherently a bad thing to be like you know it's just a roller coaster yeah but i was just gonna add well i'm conflicted because if the movie's gonna advertise itself as being a roller coaster ride of sorts you don't really get that with this with this film and what i mean by that is that Everybody defends Pacific Rim who likes it anyway. And they their argument is always, "What's wh- why you got to be a hater, man? Look, it's giant robots fighting giant monsters. It's so cool. And we finally got it. And that's just, why I bring up uh, Godzilla. And I think, well, yes, that is what the movie's based around. But look at what you actually get, though. What I mean by that is if the movie wasn't like this two hour long thing and instead just focused only on giant robots fighting monsters. Right, right, right. Which is like, that's, that'd be fine. That's what I feel like Godzilla does. Like Godzilla is like, is a movie, it's like, it's got, it, it knows its acting is terrible. It knows its script is garbage. So it doesn't spend any time on that. It spends entirely of its time on just sweet monster fights and cool set pieces and good visuals. I think the the actual CG in 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 uh, Godzilla is pretty good. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's not the best, but it, it's it's pretty it's fun for like the movies and stuff like that. And I felt like that after seeing the theater, I knew I was going into a amusement park ride. I knew I was going in for a roller coaster thing. I knew I was going in because I wanted to see it on the big screen with a huge sound system, and I wanted to go wow and and yeah, it was like, you know, it was like smashing your action figures together when you're a kid. You know, it was like that. Uh, I knew what I was getting when I was going in there. You know, Pacific Grim kind of masquerades itself as that, but also a real film. Well, it's it, it just, tries it tries to kind of input mm. this like sort of emotional narrative into it that doesn't work at all. I think that where the film really falls short is everything outside of everything outside of the actual battle scenes or the action scenes. And I don't even think the action scenes are all that great because and this is actually another problem I had with the... I didn't really like him that much either. And this is a problem I had with the last Godzilla movie, too. Okay, you get this... You have this movie, right? It's like, costs, I don't know, somewhere between $150 and $200 million. Yeah, and $175 million of that is all visual effects. And you have hundreds or if not thousands of people working on the visual effects for this film. And then you as a director go, hmm, 
wouldn't it be cool if we had this action sequence take place at night and during and in the rain, during really heavy rain, in the middle of the ocean, and you can hardly see anything, <laughs> or in it, the middle of a snowstorm? Yeah, it hides all the it it hides the CG is what it does. I guess so, but you think like with that level of production, the CG would be well done enough that you wouldn't have to. I think that this comes to my point, and this is not something we've talked about on the show. It's something we've talked about, you know, in, in just, just in general, is that I've always said, and I always will say, that no matter what, we are a long way off from CG being competent in, in the type of style that these movies want it to be. CG mm. can be a good tool to help smooth things out to add certain movements that practical effects would not be able to add to, let's say like a creature or something like that, or even like somebody getting their head blown off or whatever. You can, you can use CG to make that look a lot better. But the problem, the thing is that at the end of the day, practical effects still look so much better and are still so much more practical to use like for example like if you have an actor that has to talk with a that has a there's a talking dinosaur and he's got to talk to the dinosaur about saving all the dinosaur friends from from the horrible you know guy with the cigar in his mouth and the bulldozers coming to take down the forest you know he's got to talk with this 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 character this thing the, the actual real actor has to have a conversation with this fake thing that doesn't exist right if he's just talking to a green screen and nothing else you're not going to get it's 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 going to be very difficult to get a good performance out of that actor. It it takes I think it it's just it's insanely hard to really get into your character when you're just staring at a green screen. You know, when you have like practical effects and your character is looking at something tangible and real and can understand it and can sort of visualize how it would speak or how it would move or it, it can, you know, it feels like it's having a full-on conversation with it, you're going to get a better performance. Mm-hmm. And I feel like things like Pacific Rim and stuff, it just, they show that type of, that, that, that shows, mm-hmm. you know, that process shows a lot because you just have actors just standing in front of a green screen, just, you know, like basically phantom menacing it the entire time. Yeah. So special effects aside and action and all that stuff out of the way. Yeah. Pacific Rim just, there really isn't much there in terms of, characters you give a shit about the story is just kind of there it's it's just a bunch of it's just a bunch of anime tropes just yeah. sort of oh it's just all shit together. they stole from evangelion yeah it's all and it's all that's all yeah. it is it's just they just stole a bunch of shit from anime and evangelion which a lot of sci-fi and stuff does anyways like specifically from evangelion well, like, yeah. they steal shit all the time. <laughs> and it's it's annoying because it's it, it's always done a little bit shittier. Right. It's always just, like, a lesser version of it, you know? And it's like, I'm not saying that Evangelion is, like, the greatest thing of all fucking time or anything, you know? It's all right. It's pretty good. The movies are where it's at, if you're going to check it out. All, all of his stuff is ground that's been covered. Mm-hmm. All of his films are ground that's been covered everything that's the entire point of Guillermo del Toro is Guillermo del Toro is just a nostalgia machine yeah that's all he is he doesn't like and the reason why people like him is because of that too and he's just a just 
as he is as a person. He's just a nice, fu- big old, fat, fuzzy te- teddy bear. Yeah. And every time he gives an interview or he speaks at a, a, a an award awards ceremony or anything like that, he just comes across as just very likable, very charming. Oh yeah, this is nothing personal against Guillermo. Oh sure, and I'm not like, saying I'm that saying, like yeah, he's a total nice guy. And, and I'm not saying like great. I don't think he is. I, I, I'm not saying like I don't think he isn't a nice guy, and I I totally get that. Um. Because he's just one of those few figures who makes things that geeks and nerds like, who isn't like completely fucking them over all the time. Right. And even if the work that he puts out is disappointing, his fans will go, well... <sighs> well, remember Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah, he wrote, Pan's Labyrinth was really good. Yeah, it was really good. I was the guy with the eyes in his hands. That was interesting. Remember Hellboy? Yeah. Well, Hellboy wasn't all that great, but I really like the idea of that movie being great. <laughs> so I'm gonna just first one was <laughs> was okay, passable. I'd say people just it's like, like it's like a movie. You would like you know you're like you have the flu or something, and and you have like for some reason you have TV and it's on like you you turn on like TNT. Or mm-hmm. you're like, or like, you, you turn on like, uh, fucking stars or something like that, and like Hellboy's on, like you'll watch it, whatever. You're just dying. You're just trying to get through this horrible <laughs> sickness that you're in, and you don't really give a shit. And you'll watch it. You know, it's, it's it's there are it has its uses. I remember last time I was sick, I just ended up watching a lot of. Uh, I remember watching. I remember I was watching Prometheus again just because it was on. Ugh. And then I just went ahead and watched Alien Covenant after that. I, I think we should have a full-on Prometheus episode. But I was... Oh, yeah. We've teased about that a little bit, yeah, too. Yeah, I think that's that's coming that's coming down the old shit pipe. But uh, you're so sick, and you give such little of a shit that you just... You have something on, and once in a while, something happens that's kind of interesting, and you go, oh, all right, I'm, I'm watching a movie now. I don't know about you, but Alien Covenant's my favorite of the recent Jurassic Parks. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was thinking at the time. Right. Uh, but anyway, we're, we're you know plowing ahead here. Plowing. Yeah, we're going to be talking about The Shape of Water, which is his latest movie. Well, it came out a few years ago now, but I think what I was saying that I think that Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water are kind of, they're kind of it. They're about almost, 10 years apart. It's and, weird. It's because uh, Shape of Water is almost like, in a way, like a culmination of his his previous work. I think it's closer to Hellboy than it is to Pan's Labyrinth. I think the reason for that is because, oh, there was another thing I was going to say uh it, it's people sh- like the what I said like people like the idea of Hellboy being a good movie. It's because you have Ron Perlman and uh, who's the guy who plays Abe um, Doug Jones, who's a frequent collaborator with Del Toro as well. Who's Doug Jones is one of those guys, kind of like he's like a C- Andy Serkis, yeah, or who, like C three PO, the guy who played that. Any he, he's one of those actors whose main resume is mostly guys or characters who are these creatures who require at least five to 10 hours of makeup per day to really right. yeah, yeah, yeah. perform the thing. And he does, he does a lot of, he does a lot of 
you, you can't quite see because it's audio, but I'm I'm mimicking my hand movements. Like yeah, he does a lot Doug of Jones yeah, does. yeah. Just he seems like one of those guys whimsical, who's whimsical, like spindly. Yeah, Jordan's doing like I'm a, talking with my hands and expressing myself emotively yeah. because I think it's I, like extreme New Jersey talking. Because I think I was trained as a mime or some kind of. He looks like one of those. If he's you just like constant, constantly pantomiming everything he's saying. If you look at Doug Jones in person, you go, "This guy definitely went to the circus school." Yeah, he's, he kind of has that. This guy of, can juggle. Yeah, it's like if he would play Voldo in a in a, in a Soul Calibur movie. Oh yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, oh, like he for would sure. <laughs> do his like his weird archback fucking contortionist stuff. Yeah, this movie reminds me of like if Guillermo del Toro, like this was Guillermo del Toro's homework, and he just didn't do it <laughs> until like the like a week before it was due. Like you know, uh, and, and like he just was like, oh shit. Well, I got this like creature from the Black Lagoon costume lying around. I can use that. Oh, I got this set that's like a chamber thing, like laboratory. It's like, fuck, I I guess we can use, we can throw that in there. And I got, um, I got a bunch of these like 1960s sets from all those Lovecraft movies that I wanted to do, but never got to do. So I'll just recycle those and use those in here. It's like, oh, he kind of stands back and everything's all scotch taped together. And he's like, that looks good. (laughs) Right. I, I, you know, that's, that's probably not too far off, I think. I, it just, everything seemed like, because nothing in this mo- film, like, fits together. I think what he wanted all. to do, it's, yeah. it looks like everything was pulled from different ends of the spectrum, and it was just like, well, what we'll do is we'll just put a filter of green, we'll just put, like, a filter of puke green over the whole thing, and so it'll make it all look cohesive. I think he just took, yeah, just kind of what was around him, what just, like, some crap he had laying around. I think he just wanted to... Well, if there's one thing Guillermo del Toro loves, it's classic movie monsters. Oh my god. Oh, absolutely. These cafe these cafe curtains require no sewing. I know you all love that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's like every single thing. Uh we saw a picture of his house. Like or uh, oh, like yeah. the inside of his house. It's like when you first walk in, it's like <laughs> It's like Vincent Price answering the door, just be like, hello, welcome to my home. And you just see a giant fucking Frankenstein head looming over you. And you see like wax statues. Got this Frankenstein head that's about as tall as I am. It looks like it costs like $45,000 at least just to hang that fucking thing out there. It's like, come on in, let's show you my bone room. And (laughs) takes you down and he he just has like a pit of pigeon bones at the bottom of this fucking cellar. It's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things we were talking about this the other day. It's just like, he's got one of those houses where like everything is something. Like you, you can't just have a fucking coffee mug. It's got to be like an Indian skull with a fucking hand. You got to pick it up by the jaw. Oh yeah. And I imagine that con there's like counts is like constant, um, count chocula music playing in the background. Yeah, it's just like some like the monster mash is just on repeat there's in just the this corner creepy organ music yeah. just no he just has like he has a creepy like emaciated or- organist just like fucking hauling off in the corner at all times he pays him 90 grand a year to just sit there and play creepy organ music it's yeah. just like the like Guillermo you should probably like look if you want to make these fucking Lovecraft movies like fire the organist first of all 
you know, at, at the same time, I'm like, hey, at the same time, it, for he, someone who is good atmosphere when you're in for the, someone who's a multimillionaire, at least he's kind of doing something with the money. No, no, no. I'm not against what he's doing with it. I just think it's funny. It is, oh, oh, it's, it's hilarious. Just, it's just it's funny. Like, of he's course. just such a fucking fanboy. Like he's just such a like. Uh, it's just, and also it's like, look, I don't know, man. Like, I, I just feel like just because you're like a fan of something. Like, just because you're, like, super into monsters, like, old school, like, fucking drive-in movie monsters, like, super, I mean, like, the most mainstream monsters you can possibly think of, like, the most mainstream pulp, like, horror films you could think of, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, like, you should include that in every single thing that you make. I think that he likes these things more than most other people do but yeah. he really wants to get you into it it's he's, sort of he's, like he's like he's like your friend that's trying to get you into battlestar galactica and you just like like look man like I, he's like no but like there's all these themes that like of like you know political it's like yeah but it's you know it's i don't want to watch it i don't want to watch like seven nine seasons i don't want to watch movie. firefly yeah. yeah it's like a, yeah it's exactly it's like yeah it's like well you haven't seen firefly how could you like i saw that movie serenity and i didn't have any idea what was going on and somebody was like oh well you have to watch firefly you have to watch all this stuff this movie was made for people who like you know wanted another season of firefly i didn't get it and i was just like i don't fucking like ah. like that's this dumb thing to do for a movie it's a dumb thing to release a movie and like have it be like just like a season of a sh- the final season of a show condensed into a movie released into theaters it kind of reminds <laughs> me of yeah it's it, like it kind of reminds me like about 10 years or so ago when quentin tarantino was doing that whole grindhouse thing and yeah. that movie totally bombed it was yeah but that was a, that was, a, I, but agree, he was I agree with you but i also disagree in a way it's like but he was like that was deliberate schlock though well, I think what he was, but what I mean is that definitely deliberate schlock. But what I mean is that he was saying, "Look, I love Grindhouse. I love trash. I love pulp. I love black exploitation. I love yeah, all loves, this shit. He loves all the gross stuff. Yeah. And I'm gonna make. I'm gonna spend. I don't know, fifty million dollars or whatever to make this. And you're all gonna love it because you all love this shit just like I do. And the majority of film audiences were just going. Uh, not really, man. It's, you can do this if you want, but we don't give a shit. Yeah, it's like it. It's okay, dude. There's a lot going on with Shape of Water that I believe that this is the first thing, the first time Guillermo del Toro has not shied away from sort of symbolism and messaging before in his films. Obviously, like you know, you have uh, Pan's Labyrinth had a lot of. Uh, stuff to do with like you know with war and and and, and also with uh, divorced parents I think yeah as a thing like like having like a parents with a shitty marriage and stuff like so your kid just kind of like has like wanders off to try and escape that world uh, I think that there's a lot of symbolism there but with that that was more subtle and in um, well in Pants Labyrinth I think the main character or the hero the the girl. I think it was that her father died. Oh, yeah, yeah, in the yeah, war. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like and her mom found a new love interest with the the fascist guy. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I was, what I meant was, but yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah, just just parental issues is kind of thing where it's like uh, you you just uh, you want to just get the fuck out of that house. 
you know, and get away and, 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 uh, kind of lose yourself your own imagination, which is good. Uh, but in a, in shape of water, instead of having this sort of like subtle kind of thing going on where like more of the, like where you would have like the whimsical stuff kind of happening in the forefront and the symbolism sort of in the background, it's sort of like reversed to where, or at least equal to where you have like the whimsical stuff right out in front and you have the fucking symbolism just beating you over the head throughout the entire film. You have the score of the film beating you over with it too. The entire you, you time. do. Yeah. The score by Alexandre de Blanc. Alexandre? 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 Have you met the cat? Um, well, no, I saw it through the window once. You saw it through the window? Yeah, but I, I understand that wasn't really meeting. Okay, I'm happy to meet the cat. Well, the, um, Alexandre, this is Paula. Um, let me ask you something. Is there something that's stopping you from saying the whole word? Alexandre? Is it Alexandre, but you got busy? Alexandre. Alexandre. Okay, and then just stop. Just stop. This movie really attempts to sort of, like, compartmentalize um, each individual sort of, like, I guess, uh, discrimination, like, discriminated, uh, like, sexuality and, and orientations and race. It sort of compartmentalizes all these things into separate characters. Uh, so you have a... her. You have the main character, who is uh, mute. She can't talk. Uh, sign language, all that kind of stuff. And then her neighbor is... You find out a little bit later that he's gay, and then I think that the main guys, the main creature is either African American or what? I think that's what I'm saying. I saying the fish character is maybe that's what I'm saying. This is this is I'm this is like my I'm just sort of shooting throwing stuff at the wall here and stuff. Uh, but I have a feeling it's something like that. I think that you're. I don't think you're far off with that, but. At the same time, the main character, her friend and coworker is African American, and she's got her own things going on with how she's treated. And there's also the I just don't think they just don't go a hundred percent with her friend. Is that's why I was thinking this way is that they don't fully like they don't have that scene like they do with the guy who is gay, where he gets rejected and kicked out, and then the same scene. He's this. That scene was so dumb. The, scene, the dumbest scene in the entire world. Where like, there's just like this diner that they like to go to. That all they do is serve pie, which is like the worst idea for a diner ever. Yeah. But uh, they just serve like Jello pie. It's because it's like it's the 1960s and we all eat fucking diarrhea. This was before Julia Child. They didn't. Yeah, have they didn't. Fine no, nobody yet. knows how to. Nobody knows how to cook. Everybody just has to put a powder in a bowl and add water. Everything's and a casserole. Everything's yeah. Everything's just a pile of mush. And, um, in the same scene, um, you know, the, the, the gay character, that's the main character's, uh, friend kind of comes on to the guy, um, uh, who is sort of leading him on a little bit, mm. like is sort of like, you would think like, oh yeah, I think right when he propositions him, I was thinking, oh, okay, yeah, they're going to be gay together. But he like just straight up flips a 180, rejects him. It kicks him out and just says that, like, you know, we don't, I don't want you to see you back around here anymore. And you, like, you know, you, you kind of feel like, man, this guy is like two seconconds away from an F bomb. Mm -hmm. And in the same exact scene, there's this like black couple that comes in to try and try and get a table. And he just like 
kicks them out too straight up and just says like yeah it's because you're black so get the hell out of here yeah it's right. like the same scene <laughs> this all guy, these seats are the, reserved okay. this little double whammy of racism and discrimination <laughs> so not only is he homophobic he's also racist and this is all done within, I think, a few minutes. It's you know, it's just, it's it's like these black this black same couple sentence. This, this, <laughs> yeah, this black couple just like happens to walk in conveniently. Yeah. At the same time, this guy uh, working at the diner is is telling off uh, Richard Jenkins' character here, and it's just so like, you get it. Everybody was really racist back then, and and this huh, guy back then. Yeah, back then. Huh. Well, they were more racist back then. That's right. I mean, I don't know. We don't have to get into that. No, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't. This is not that kind of a podcast. Yeah, we're not. But, uh, uh, (laughs) you know, just just know that, you know, we're uh, we're not that. But um, the... uh, But the scene is just like, look, like, Guillermo del Toro is attempting to tackle these serious issues with a film about a lady who fucks a fish man. That is, that is that is the end of the day. That is what that is what is happening here, and it's just not. It's done in such a lazy, not I guess not lazy, but it's done in such a ineffective way. I'd say it's just it's totally ineffective, and I don't understand why it's there. I don't understand why it needs to do that. Like, I'm already kind of interested. I I would like to know a little bit more of like what led up to their relationship. Like what I mean is that the the lady who is uh, who is mute uh, works at this like weird government facility that I'm not quite sure what it does. Yeah, and also you can just be a civilian and just take a bus there, and they just do super crazy secret weird stuff right in front of you and expect you not to say anything. Like Look, it's a cool looking set, just go with it. Like, uh, like so she's a she's a she's a um, she's a uh, janitor or a uh, part of the, like, like, a, like the cleanup crew at this government facility. And just right in front of her, she's cleaning up this laboratory room. And they just wheel in the fish man <laughs> in this like tank. And they're like, Oh, we found this thing in Brazil. And, uh, you know, we're going to do some tests on it. And she's just in there cleaning. And I don't give a shit. They're like, yeah, put it over there. Like, <laughs> and, and she eventually like, you know, meets or, or, or sneaks in to see it and finds out that this like sort of basically he just he's this creature from the black lagoon that's all it is well she and, gets assigned to clean the space right for just a, it, no reason for really. no reason yeah well, uh, and then just she, because we need to we need to we need to speed this plot get up. this going it's going it's like a two-hour movie you're going um and she forms a relationship with it like she starts talking like immediately like immediately there's no like, oh, it's like a wild thing that tries to attack her at first and then she wins it over. It's it's none of that. There's no sort of like build up to like their relationship. It feels like it tries to say that, but it really, I mean, at the very beginning, it was just like it's there. Like now they now now she has a connection with it. The film starts in a way that's kind of feels off to me, which is that I think in order to build this this romance or at least this uh, connection between these two characters a little bit better, I feel like one of the problems is is that the film starts with the main character instead of the fish creature because right. the fish creature 
isn't really like established or really seen that much um, throughout. It's more focused on on the woman, and I feel like we need to humanize this fish creature, right? And also, like, the fish creature to... is way more interesting than this woman. I want to know like how they found him, how they get him here. Yeah, because. The fish creature is far, at least, you know, on the on the surface and everything, it's, like, pretty interesting, and it's, it's the most interesting thing. And also, everybody that sees it is totally cool with it. Yeah. <laughs> everybody that sees this this this, well, this creature from the Black Lagoon, this fucking man fish that's terrifying, like, everybody that comes in contact with it is like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a fish guy, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, there's no, like, sort of, nobody is, like, scared of it, nobody is like, what the fuck is that? Nobody is nobody is saying like you know am I going crazy am I seeing things no stuff it's like no 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 it's fine it's just a fish creature just you know whatever and one thing about this movie too is the thing about Guillermo del Toro's movie as we talked about he just he makes gritty R rated fairy tales supposedly for adults but I feel like his understanding of how to portray people is just very very childlike in the way because the people that are good or the characters that are good in his movies are like really really good they never do anything bad and the people who are bad are always bad and they they're just bad they're they evil have no, they have no redeeming qualities yeah. so you have michael shannon's character in this movie who right. we'll just call evil man yeah evil rapey man who does everything possible to be evil and rapey who's just so she goes to clean up this chamber where the the fish creature is We'll just call him Fish Boy, where Fish Boy is is being kept, and there's just blood everywhere. Yeah, and you find out, oh, it's because Evil Man is just torturing this guy. Yeah, he's just torturing the creature. Just yeah. because, because, because why? This is Unit Seven Thirty One, I guess. And uh, I was like, I, it was almost like, what are you trying? Are you trying to get some nuclear secrets out of him? Like, what are you trying to get him to talk? Like, I don't get it. There, there was like no reason to like torture. Th- there is no reason to torture it. It can't talk. Right. It so, doesn't speak English. So this is some kind of science research project, but you never see anyone actually doing anything scientific. You see more laundry being done there see than a lot anything of, else. You see a lot of mopping. A lot of mopping. A lot of... Mostly mopping. A lot of people like with clipboards, but they're not really going anywhere, doing anything. Like You don't see any... They, they are cleaning like a plane type thing. In the beginning. Well, you have characters who play scientists. Like, you have uh, a serious man yeah, in there. Yeah, serious and he's man guy, yeah. Dimitri or whatever. And yeah. he's supposedly the scientist. You never see him do anything. He never does anything scientist. And he's also a part of this, like, subplot This like these like of this, like, Russian spy who's, like, spying. He's like, a, he's, like, a spy in the facility for the Russians. And, like, that plot goes nowhere and is, has no bearing on the story whatsoever other than the fact that, like, he just it's another guy that can get shot or fucked up later. I think it was just more like so he could give so he it was so he could, you know, give give away the main character at the I end. I think it was a lot of, I think it was Del Toro just going, "All right, it's it's the mid 60s. What else we got to get in there? Oh yeah, the Cold War. Something yeah, about the Russians. Something about the Russians. That's what makes it yeah, we got to really take people back to that time. It's sort of like I get it, you know, Scorsese does it too or it's yeah, but he does it with a, for a purpose. Oh, he sure he does. But I'm what I mean is like, you know. All right, so it's going to be the 1960s. All right, so it's going to be the Rolling Stones. Bustle, and then going it's going to be yeah, we're going to have the black and white TV shows going on in the background. And we're, yeah, it's but anyway, so it's there's the the whole 
that whole story element with the the Russian guy, it just it's it's just there. It's just it there. does nothing. So the main lady is uh, uh, forms this like kind of weird like romance or, or kind of weird connection with with Fish Boy. She starts bringing him food and stuff, and then she hatches a plot to um, have him uh, to break him out, to take him back to her her house, or to get him out of there because they're gonna kill him and dissect him and stuff. And um, she finally gets it out of the facility and the movie just kind of like meanders for forever after that. Like, it's just sort of like, all right, it's done. It's just kind of meanders forever. And then it's hard to even talk about this movie at all because it just, there's nothing to say. It's just, it's just sort of like, just keeps jumping forward in the plot to where, to the point where it's like none of the plot previous mattered at all. And it's just sort of in the moment. And it's more about like the weird sort of visual scenes than actual narrative or actual character development at all going on. Yeah, I think that I want to make a comparison. There's no story here. I want to make a little bit of a comparison to Pacific Rim on one level, which is that they have similar marketing hype. Pacific Rim, as uh, I was saying earlier, was all just based around the whole geeky... Uh, oh, it's giant monsters fighting giant robots. Come on, let's go see. It's going to be awesome. And then it was sort of a similar thing with The Shape of Water. The marketing hype with that was was like, hey, want to see a movie where a, a lady has sex with a, with a fish creature? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something? And yeah, like, it's like... Uh, it's, oh, one thing I wanted to say about, about this and also like to do with your previous point about him trying to gear this towards a more mature audience by just like after I saw this movie, I thought that the entire plot and and everything, all the themes and everything about this movie, like read to me, like, like, like a kid's picture book with like one sentence per page kind of thing where it's like the dog is uh, very sad next page. And like, it's sad because it doesn't have his ball. And the next page is like, yeah, but, and the ball is lost. And, oh, and then, then he's got to go find the ball. And, like, that's, that's like how this movie like plays out. It's that it's like a two hour long, seven page children's book. And the only reason that it's mature is because it shows Bush. Like this, the, the sex scenes just feel out of place. Mm-hmm. Because it's like it's almost like I'm watching a kids movie here, mm-hmm. and then here's this, this lady's bush comes like fucking tranching into the scene, and that's fine, you know, that's great, but it's like there's a time and a place, and it, it just like it just doesn't fit, I, at least for me, like it just didn't fit at all. It was like I was looking at, uh, I was watching this with Olivia, and I just we just when that started, we just looked at each other like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this? <laughs> like, it's just like, does that make it art? Because because they're because she has sex with it, now it's art. I feel now like it's, now it's deep. Well, this is kind. Of, this might sound kind of weird to say, but even that part was a letdown because I was let in with the whole. Oh, she's gonna. They're gonna show her having sex with the. Oh fish yeah, creature. he's gonna have like a fish dick. So I want to see the fish dick. Right? Yeah, there's there's supposed. I mean, look, yeah, if you're gonna do that, you might as well. You gotta throw the fish dick in there. And it doesn't. Yeah, he's like a Ken doll down there. There's sort of this sort of how do they stylized even have, how sex How do they scene. even have sex? Like, I was like, looking. so how does this even work biologically? 
I think it's implied that he does have a penis because when she kind of explains it to her friend or coworker the next day, she kind of implies that he had a unit. Yeah. And because they were underwater, he was really able to get it working. Okay. They also destroy that entire building. Yeah, and that. that was fine. Everybody's there's no, cool there's no consequences with that. Yeah, she also she flooded her entire upstairs apartment. Like, and the landlord is pissed off, I guess, but he doesn't he's, kick him out or like, anything. like, hey, you flooded my entire apartment. Don't let it happen again. Why, I oughta. Oh, yeah, you crazy kids. I'll shake my fist at you. Oh, yeah, you destroyed my, you destroyed my entire business and livelihood. Uh, just don't do it again. Yeah. Or else, or else I'm going to have to charge you extra rent. Yeah. It's just uh, that's the kind of thing about this movie, and and this is a problem I feel with. Uh, and why does he have to have god powers? Who what? Yeah, because he's a god. What? So this fish thing can also like, of course, it can like heal wounds. It could just like except doesn't choose to do that until the very end of the movie for some reason. Yeah, it's like of course all this time it's being tortured and yeah, it's bleeding and yeah, it's just suffering and just and then it like, gets yeah. and then it gets shot and it's like yeah, but I'm not shot. I'm fine. I can just I can just heal. It's cool, um, but it, it, like throughout the rest, throughout the other parts of the movie, he's just like yeah, getting the shit kicked out of him, and he's just like bleeding on the floor and sh- doesn't heal himself. Then, man, what a waste of Michael Shannon. Hey, for what it's worth, when he's when he's in the movie, he's really good. <laughs> he's really good, but I no, I'm not saying his performance. I is I want to get a Cadillac. Yeah, I just like. It's, it's a nice shade not, of green, sir. Green. It's teal. It's teal. It's teal. It's not green. I like these candies. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're very simple. You know, people want, people want these candies with all sorts of uh, nougat in them. But I, I like the hard candies that, you, you know, I like to bite into them if I'm feeling anxious. And it's just like, all right. <laughs> it's just Michael Shannoning just Michael it up. Shannoning all over the place. Uh <laughs> Somebody turn off Michael Shannon. He's, but, he's, but I feel he's like, doing it again. I feel like all the direction he was given was just, all right, so you're the bad guy, okay? Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. All right. Anyway, and action. I'm going to rape you. I'm going to rape, I'm gonna rape you. Yeah. I like it when women are quiet. Yeah. Oh, God, shut you up. You don't say nothing. You don't say nothing. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like, just okay. Well, gee, all right, fine. It's just, yeah. You know, that's the thing is that like it's always a good thing to, like, when you have a uh, if you have a villain, it's always an interesting wrench to throw into the gears when they have some sort of redeeming quality that lets you relate to them in a way. Mm-hmm. To where it's like because it makes you like sort of it it makes the characters question what they should do with the bad character. You know, it's like if they have redeeming qualities, then you can't just like haul off and shoot them. You know, it's like you have to have that debate in your head. You have to have you have to weigh your moral consequences. You have there. There's something interesting to think about. Michael Shannon, he's just a cross the board fucking asshole. He has nothing to <laughs> redeem himself. And it's just when he at the end, when he gets, you know, uh, when he finally gets his comeuppance, it's just like, all right. 
yeah, okay, we kind of thought that was going to happen, you know? I thought, it, like, if the movie ended with Michael Shannon just shooting everybody and then it just ended, I, I would have been totally fine with the movie. So I think we pretty much summed up the whole movie <laughs> right there. Oh, uh, what did you think about the whole sequence where it turned into a black and white uh, musical? That was so stupid. Oh, it's so dumb. Are you kidding me right now? It's trying to do the whole La La Land. Yeah, it's like it's the like artist. Nobody told Guillermo del Toro that that sucks. And he's just like, oh man, if, if somebody would have said something, maybe I wouldn't have fucking like just derailed the movie entirely with this this totally unnecessary thing. Where it's like we're not learning anything. Nothing is being learned through that sequence. Nothing is being added or learned or, or developed in any way. We already fucking know that she's in love with the goddamn fish boy. We already, we get it. We already know. She fucked it. You, you have to love it. And I mean, that's the thing too, is that like, I guess along the themes of sexuality and what I was trying to talk about earlier is that the reason why she feels, one of the main issues with the movie is the reason why she loves the fish boy. And what she says, and says that she, the fish boy sees her for her and doesn't get hung up on the fact that she can't talk. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the main reason. And I was like, well, number one, this lady's pretty attractive. You know, I'd say. Like, she's not ugly. She's just like, you know, she looks like a pretty, like, just a regular lady. She just looks fine. Your girlfriend is not ugly. Not at all. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, but yeah, I agree. She can't. She can't find. There's not a single guy. Like that's. This is not my main point, but this is a side point. But I was like, there's not a single. There. There is definitely somebody out there that would not care. You don't have to smuggle a fucking iguana man out of a fucking you know top secret facility that you take a bus to. Maybe she's just a fem cell. <sighs> <laughs> you know she's one of those she's ladies. like a, she's like a furry so i she's, mean well furries get down but i'm that's all i'm saying but is that they that's gotta, like that's they're freaky I, they're freaky so she's kind of freaky but i mean she's like it's okay. just real loose is what i'm trying to say is yeah. that the whole reasoning behind her risking her life for this thing and also like not having it like seeing the capabilities of it how it's very strong and can just like tear things apart if it really wanted to I just I just feel like the reasoning for why she wants to have she wants to do all the stuff that she does is like so weak and not developed. It's because we got there is no development of their relationship. It just kind of happened. The movie just kind of like it just kind of happened, and the movie moved along. There was no period where the relationship can sort of incubate, and it, then it can get to a point where like a crescendo where she realizes that she has to break him out. You know what I mean? Yeah, when I tell people that, when I've told people that I don't like this movie, something that I've heard in response is, oh, don't you like romantic movies? Uh, don't you believe in love? And I'm just thinking, not like that. Yeah. <laughs> not like a moron. I'm sorry. <laughs> not, not like not like just like a fucking dangerous asshole who just, just like risks his life or his or her life and everybody else's around them for their weird kinky sex capade. And like, look, if you can't connect with people and you think, Oh, I, if only I had some monstrous creature to hook up with, then okay. I guess I can understand your connection with the, 
with the whole, with the whole premise there. But th- and that's the thing too, as far as her whole the whole development of the romantic relationship between these characters is that the thing about this creature is that it really is more of a monster than a man. It, it's, and what, it's the the it, anatomical qualities of it just don't have any there's no redeeming things it's just the fact that it stands upright it's that's that's the only thing about it it's violent it like kills a cat yeah it just eats a cat and they're totally fine with that nobody gives a shit nobody cared about that cat i was mortified (laughs) he goes to he looks at the other cat and he's just like well lucky it wasn't you huh yeah that's yeah that's how I'd react to one of my cats just getting yeah, killed. Oh, yeah, I would be in, inconsolable if one of my cats was eaten uh, for, for at least a fucking week. Like, holy shit. That guy, did, that guy didn't care at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy didn't give two shits. Maybe like, if they established that he hated that cat early on or something. Yeah, like, that would have been fine. Like, I'm not saying the, that like, that shouldn't have happened. I'm just saying it's played as like a joke when the cat gets killed yeah it's just like eh, that hey random animal cruelty it's like okay. it's like hey he uh oh he knocked over all my records on the floor oh and he killed my cat oh that rascal like, it's just it's just like okay you know and like i know it's like if you're thinking that we're being nitpicky about the whole relationship and all that stuff about this it's just that like this movie is like trying is is pushing this it's like the main crux of the whole film. It's it's the only thing that you have to believe in this in order for the film to work. Mm-hmm. Like in order for the film to work, you have to go along with the whole relationship and like and and feel how much she loves this creature. And which is almost conflicting in in in, in a way because I do believe that she loves the creature. She does a very good job portraying how much she cares for it. It's just we don't know why. There, it's just the run up to it, like the for the level that she cares about it. There's no, there's no one plus one equals two. It's just two. It's one of those things where the movie just wants you to be all caught up, right, in the whole thing just from the get go. And it just, it's just kind of really hammering in the whole idea of, of love without really explaining what it means. Yeah, it's it's hard to, it's hard to like. Like, I do want to root for them, you know? Like, I, I don't dislike the characters. I really don't dislike any character except for Michael Shannon. And I don't even really dislike him in, in that way. I just, I, I feel like he wasn't, his character wasn't fully fleshed out or thought of in a way. It was it, it was too generic and for him. Like, he did a great job with it, but it was just too, like, on the nose. Everything about this movie is on the fucking nose. There's no subtlety in this film whatsoever. It's just all, like, right there. And I think that this is the type of film that really demanded subtlety. <laughs> yeah, I, I went in really wanting to, really wanting to like this movie. I really wanted to love this movie. If you told me about the premise, I'd be down. Sure. You know, if you told me about like the the synopsis of this thing, like I'd be like, yeah, okay, like that sounds interesting. The problem is, is with this film and a number of other Guillermo del Toro films, is that he creates this really interesting world, really interesting creatures and ideas but then he just kind of chooses to tell the least interesting story you have this movie about the u.s government discovering a godlike fish creature in order to learn the mysteries of its anatomy and biology Mm -hmm. in order to get a leg up in the space race yeah and i'm like 
cool. Like, yeah, let's do something with that. Let's, yeah, let's, let's put a fucking helmet on him. And instead, we're going to tell a story about some mute woman who's like a cleaning lady at the facility, and she hangs out with this gay guy, and they watch black and white Shirley Temple movies together, and they hang out and talk about how much life is slipping by, and they don't have anyone, and... Why is everyone so fucking stupid? All right, but we got this fish creature over here. And, and also, I'm... like, I really, d at the end of the day, too, like, this movie didn't even need to be in the 1960s. It Not it, really. It didn't really need any of that. Like, you could have had the reason why the government wanted it for any sort of reason. I like, think it's because you, he wanted to make a kind of parallel. It's just what he had lying around. From <laughs> that era to our current era, because... I don't know if you saw the Oscars when he won Best Director, but when he gave his acceptance speech, he was saying something to the effect of, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, which, in a time of hate, I decided I wanted to make a film about love, and love is the thing that really connects all of us. <sighs> so I say Put no. it on a fucking t-shirt, Guillermo. So, and everybody's just like, oh. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah, just oh my god. just people just losing it and that's Yeah, it's really all you got to do to really get these Hollywood well, just, people you know, to those get Hollywood people, they just like there's you might as well have a fucking applause sign that flips on. They don't they, they just know what the cues are. They know what they're supposed to fucking clap at. Like when somebody says like climate change is Republicans and you know we need to be at the forefront of uh, civil rights and, uh, and it's like every, every anytime anybody hears any of those things like you know whether you know you're on one side or the other it's just you're supposed to clap at it you know and this movie feels like it was just like made by somebody who's just out of touch and four people that are totally out of touch. It's like everybody's got this like slime over their fucking face. Well, it's just, what does the movie really have to say about anything like it, that? It doesn't say anything, which is why it's just like, it's just, it's just the cues. It's the cues that you're supposed to like, like this because I said it's supposed to be something you like. I think racism is bad. That's right. Yeah. Cool. Most people do. Uh, we all think, well, all of us should at least think it's bad you don't racism you don't is a weird thing though because if you're gonna tackle an issue like that you have to approach it with a with a level of nuance that is it's it's really complicated because even racists don't think they're racists right you know what i mean yeah some people are just like what 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 this is just what you know my where i come from i'm not racist but it's like, you know, followed, I have a list of questions followed by extremely <laughs> racist sentences. <laughs> right. But there's there aren't people, at least for the most part, at least. Well, maybe. OK, there probably are. But people who are like yeah, full are. mask off, outwardly hateful, just. Oh, yeah. No, I'm letting everybody know I'm racist. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I have, no I've, I've heard it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Just overall, it's like it's much more covert. Yeah. These days with how it's actually, I guess, practiced. Right. By most people. So so if you're going to say... So it's like one of those things where you could say this movie has a political message, which it 
it, it doesn't really though. Other than yeah, discrimination is is bad, and so is bigotry, and so is fascism, and and so on and so forth. And, so say, yep, okay. yep, we all get it. Yep, we got it. Uh huh. Now, now, what is your take on it? Like, what are you trying to convey? Because if it's just that, then that's not enough. I also thought it was yeah, exactly. I also thought it was kind of weird. Michael Shannon's character's wife. She's kind of this throwaway character who's just this suburban 1960s or submissive housewife. It doesn't really say anything about his character. I almost thought that that was going to be who the seems to quality. just enjoy being a submissive housewife and just yeah. pleasing her husband, whatever. And and I just thought that was kind of weird because from everything uh, yeah. I've read and learned about, there were no happy submissive housewives yeah. <laughs> back then. It just wasn't a thing. No, not really. I can't imagine uh, anybody in a position like that would ever be truly happy about it. So was she just not the right kind of? I just no. don't really know like what that was for. I I, I know what it's for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that entire scene where Michael Shannon just goes home for one scene. Uh, he just goes home from work, and you meet his family or whatever. I think that was Guillermo del Toro's attempt to give him a redeeming quality. And the redeeming quality was just the fact that he has a family. That's it. And he doesn't beat the shit out of his wife, which maybe for the 1960s meant you were like one of the greatest men alive. Maybe, yeah. that, maybe that was just a straight up redeeming quality about a guy because he just didn't lay a hand on his, he didn't, he, yeah, wasn't, he, he wasn't mean to his family. Yeah. He that doesn't makes really, him a good, that makes him a good man. He's kind of distant, but he doesn't really treat his kids badly either. Right. I, I think that that's like, that's the redeeming quality. And it's just like, well, I mean, it still doesn't say anything about the guy because, you know, what would it be if you would just like, you know, come home and you're just a dick to your family for no fucking reason. And it just doesn't make any sense for his character to even do that. And it's does not outweigh any of the other stuff. At all. It doesn't even come close. It doesn't even tip the scale one bit. So it's it's really, honestly, like, it's a, it's a very well... Uh, it's a very well-performed character, but an overall extremely weak, underdeveloped character. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's almost... It's like elementary-level underdeveloped. It's really bad. Well, there's anything else you would, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with Guillermo del Toro? Uh, I mean, he's going to be putting out, uh, what is he working on next? The Pinocchio movie? Yeah, uh, I was looking up what he was going to be working on next, and he's making a stop motion animated film based on Pinocchio for Netflix, which is supposed to be coming out in the next year or two. And, I just feel like it's just going to be more of the same shit. I mean, I guess it's kind of cool that it's stop motion animation. Yeah, I'm you don't really see that too often. Yeah. I like, appreciate it. Yeah, so I'll see what it looks like at least, but the whole idea of it just doesn't excite me. For one thing, it's the story of Pinocchio. That story is just how many times are you going to do that? And then. Oh, yeah, and he's going to make it all fucking. There's going to be swearing in it, and there's going to be. Uh, there's going to be a scene where one of the clay figures gets, you know, beat up or shot or something. 
gonna, yeah, it's, it's gonna, gonna be very, try. it's gonna be very stylized and gritty. And it's gonna have probably it's pretty, gonna have some dark elements to it's it. It's gonna have some pretty cool looking, uh, some pretty look cool looking marionettes, and it's gonna, it's probably gonna have a lullaby ish score by Alexandre de Blach again, <laughs> again. And I'm just thinking, all right, I guess. I don't know, man. It's just, how long are we going to have? Maybe it's just me. I'm just getting older, and so my tastes are changing. You know, I've thought about that a little bit as well. You know, but I can still enjoy. There's still a lot of stuff I can enjoy um, from <laughs> That's good. my childhood. Yeah. And, or from when I was younger, I still can go back and enjoy them, you know, today and stuff, like certain shows and movies and whatnot. And I don't really understand this like need to continue to like rehash these like kind of old styles of entertainment i'd say just for the novelty of it like the novelty of like of like a whole puppet show like like let's just make a movie that's a puppet show it's just like we don't like we don't i don't need that anymore like we don't we're not like just mesmerized by like the tiniest things like we've kind of evolved as 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 a people things have changed and it requires a bit i just feel like there should be stuff out there that kind of stimulates a brain a little bit more than that it's like if you think about like i don't know like team america Mm. world police right team america they use puppets but like they use them in a way that was like that was awesome because they turned it into this like hilarious comedy and like they used the fact that they were puppets as part of the comedy. And I think that when you do stuff like that, it really works because you're sort of, not only are you making fun of like the form of the art form itself, you're using it against itself and you're presenting it in a totally new way. If it's, if if he just goes and makes like a stop motion Pinocchio movie, it's just like, it's just going to be a, you know, a fucking Tim Burton's Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, that's all it's going to be. It's just going to be Tim Burton's Willy Wonka with fucking mixed with Coraline. And, yeah. And then, like, that's it. That's all, that's all we're going to get. You know, it's not going to, you're not going to have those same wonders that you got when you were a kid and you watched Nightmare Before Christmas or something like that. It, it's going to be just one of those one and done type things. Yeah. It's just, He's he's just kind of staying in his lane here. It's just going all right. Here's another fairy tale. He's, he's not pushing. He's not pushing his himself or anything. And like that's just, this is why like the point of this show is like look, just don't expect don't don't get hyped up by Guillermo del Toro stuff coming out. Like just that's that's kind of like I guess the ending message here is that you just can't really just just don't feel yourself getting hyped up just because it's Guillermo del Toro's name on something. You know, <laughs> I really want him to make something. I do too. Really good again. I do too. And but I just can't expect it with the trends. If you're going on straight up, like on trends here, it's like it's not looking good. I just want him to. This, this isn't. This is bad phrasing, but I want him to go back to Mexico, and I want him to just make <laughs> <laughs> phrasing, and I just to go back to making movies in Mexico. I should say. Yeah. And I think if he was able to go back there, I don't really know exactly. I'm sure there's differences in the Mexican film industry to the Hollywood film industry. But I feel like when he has made his movies in his home country, he's been able to have a lot more, uh, 
I just feel like his creativity really shines and he's able to really communicate his ideas and flesh out his worlds and everything and, and creatures yeah. more properly. And I think overall he uh, really sought out in the beginning to sort of take his culture and bring it to the forefront and, and kind of blend it with more mainstream stuff to where people could be exposed to uh, maybe, maybe people that just like that are used to just like the, the normal Hollywood movie that like starring white guy, number one and his black friend, number two and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's just, you know, they're they're It's just the rock and Jason Statham and they're going to go and they're going to pump iron and they're going to do sweet handshakes. And then the movie's over. <laughs> and, um, it's like Guillermo del Toro took something that people weren't used to seeing or something that really didn't get a lot of attention that needed, that should have got attention. Um, like the, like, like the Spanish culture and Mexican culture and stuff like that. Um, which, and he, he blended it with something that it fit perfectly with like straight up PB and J like the Spanish culture and Mexican culture totally fits with like horror and fairy tale and stuff like that. Like a lot of the imagery and their fairy tales are, similar to ours and like a lot of their kind of grim style tales and stuff like are actually like pretty are awesome and scary and, and they're, they have great interesting characters to them. And I think that he sought out to sort of, you know, get these characters and these cultures and and these stories, some attention. And now he's just a fucking Hollywood director, douchebag guy, who just now he just like, you know, like what happened to you, man? Like, what the fuck happened to you? You used to be cool. You used to be cool. You used, you used to come around with a fucking mouth shop and flipping a coin, and you were taking us all out and riding your sweet Chevy, and now, now look at you. Now you're just a suit. Like I said, I didn't want to approach this episode from just, just wanting to hate on this dude because... No, I don't either. Because I overall really like his work, and especially his Spanish language films, and... I kind of wish he would just get back to that a little bit more and maybe, yeah, maybe he will yeah. one of these days. Maybe he'll try to do his whole, go back to his roots thing, which is what he just needs to do. Like that sounds so cliche, but it's, it's literally the solution here because is, his fellow, you know, his, uh, his, uh, fellow, his uh, contemporary, contemporary, uh, Mexican filmmakers. Uh, I wanted to mention real quick, like, uh, Alfonso, Alfonso Caron and Alejandro Inaritu. I'm saying those names horribly. Yeah, it's fine, you know. But, but you know who but I mean. You're trying, man. You're trying. You're doing good. Um, you're doing good. These directors, I think they do... They make great films as well. and they Really uh, good movies, honestly. Like, they make really... This is, like, some stuff. We're talking, you know, Children of Men, Babel, Birdman, The Revenant, which is... Yeah, Revenant is questionable, but it's still a pretty good movie. Oh, for sure. But these guys go back and forth a little bit more when it comes to I'm going to make an English language movie in Hollywood and then I'm going to make a Spanish language movie, maybe also in Hollywood, too. But it's going to be more of an international production. And it's kind of like we mentioned John Woo. Yeah. uh, A lot a, a bit earlier. And the thing is, it's like he did his thing in Hollywood for a decade or so. And then. After a little while, he's like, "All right, I gotta go back to Hong Kong." Yeah, and that's what he's. Oh been yeah, doing. he 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 figured it out. He was like, "This is not you know, 
he, the grass was greener when he came to Hollywood, and he realized that it was just, no, oh, it's just a bucket of diarrhea. So he's All just right. making... So I'm going to go back to where I, like, you know, I'm appreciated, and, and I, I can actually do what I want to do. Yeah, so he went back to... He went back to Hong Kong like a decade or so ago, and now he's just making like epic, uh, period. Yeah, Chinese. He's, he's doing movies. good stuff, and yeah, his work is. Yeah, he's doing good stuff. Returned to being much better, and I think maybe that's just what it is. I, if I have any final thoughts, I'll just I just want to say that, yeah, I hope he just kind of returns to what. Uh, that's the ha- what that's, I enjoyed about his yeah. work in the first place. That's a hacksaw prescription. Is 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 look 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 Guillermo, we like you. You're 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 a cool guy. We like your weird. You we like your nerdy fucking house and all your <laughs> stuff. We like your collection of swords and and your 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 rug that was fucking uh, the rug from the Adams family house or something like. You know, just just look, man. Just go back to Mexico, <laughs> in a good way, <laughs> on voluntarily. I'd say voluntar- voluntarily go back to Mexico and fucking just get in with it. Like, 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 get back to, like, that awesome culture and imagery and just get out of this fucking Hollywood bullshit, man. Like, this, this, this Hollywood bullshit is just, like, nobody, nobody needs any of this crap. Nobody needs it, okay? People need culture more than anything else right now. And, and it's just this guy, he's just, like, I don't know just putting out the stuff that any other, like any director that's way beneath him would put out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is that like, it's a shame because he's so much, he's capable of so much better than this. Yeah. It's a shame because this movie probably took a few years to make. And I just think, I just think about all the other things he could have been working on. Yeah. All the other cool projects he could have been doing instead of this fucking weird ass movie that made no sense and has no purpose and is just, a definite pass and i'm you know kind of want my four dollars back from amazon on the bright side the one bright side i'll say is like this movie was very critically and commercially successful so hopefully it netted him enough of a enough a chunk of change to go all right guillermo Gil- all right guillermo no he decided to take that and- money and make fucking pinocchio all right so maybe after <laughs> pinocchio <laughs> Maybe this, maybe the Pinocchio thing was going on kind of simultaneously. Ah. You know, it's stop motion animation. It takes like Shape twenty Water, years to make a stop motion. Shape of Water movie. came out in what, like 20, 2017? Yeah. And and Pinocchio is not due to come out for like another year or two. Like I said, it takes like ten years to make a stop motion. Oh movie. come on! I'm exaggerating, you know. <laughs> all right. That's well, why there aren't that many of them. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it. Um, Go ahead if you have any questions or comments. Uh, go ahead and uh, head on over to hacksawpodcast at gmail.com and send us all of your uh, colorful words. Oh, yeah, please do. And, yeah, just uh, just keep checking us out. Uh, yeah, we're on Spotify now. Just just uh, look up Hacksaw Podcast on Spotify. We're on uh, iTunes. Uh, anywhere else? Google? Yeah, we're Google. on uh, Google Podcasts now. Um, we're going to be uploading our stuff to YouTube. So yeah. we're getting it all out there. But just about everywhere you get your other podcasts, you can go ahead and uh, go ahead and give us a subscribe there. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll be cooking up another episode here pretty soon. Absolutely. And uh, till then. Till then. Later. Bye bye.